Thank you for choosing to listen to our sermon podcast. My name is Chris Mitchell. I'm one of the pastors here at First Covenant Church of Anchorage. If you have any questions or prayer requests, feel free to stop by or send an email to office at anchoragefirstcovenant.com. God bless. Um, good morning, everybody. I feel like people have been uh, giving spoilers all along the way. Not spoilers. It's just that everything's weaving together <laughs> as uh, the, the theme that we're going to be exploring today has already come up a couple of times. Um, do you take a brief moment and pray with me? Uh, God, we are coming to you as a congregation that is experiencing a lot of heaviness and loss right now. And I pray um, that through this message and through your word that you would feed us and strengthen us, um, give us open ears to hear your Holy Spirit. We ask us in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, well, so we have been going through a series in First John but I'm not going to be preaching on 1 John today. Um, I got a text during the week after it was clear that Pastor Chris needed the Sunday off, um, asking if I had a sermon that I had maybe preached before that I could dust off and bring back out. And, uh, and because of all the loss recently, uh, I thought of one from several years ago now, five years ago, that I preached as part of a series on lament here at First Covenant. Um, so that's what I'll be sharing this morning. Um, it comes from Psalm 22, so we're going to start with the reading from that psalm. Um, so Psalm 22, verses 1 to 21. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer, by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me, 
A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. The word of the Lord. Um, when I studied at Regent College several years ago, <laughs> I got to be part of a gospel choir. And one of the songs that we sang was called Come in Truth. And I love the song. And Peter helped me find it. <laughs> we had a recording of it. So I'm just going to play the first two stanzas for you now, hopefully. <laughs> before the king. There's nothing you can hide, for he sees everything and knows your mind. For whom do we pretend? What lie can we afford? A great all-knowing friend is the Lord. And then the second verse, which is especially uh, on point for today, come you weary and you faint, you joyful and you strong, in sorrow and complaint, and joyful song, with laughter and with tears, in confidence, in fear. The only God who hears is the Lord. I still love those words and how they remind me that I'm invited to bring all of myself to God. Not just the cleaned up Sunday morning Instagram ready version of myself, but my whole self. The idea of bringing our whole selves to God comes from the Psalms. And it fits with the idea of lament. Christy was talking about lament a little bit earlier when she mentioned the service that we're going to have. But what is it? It's kind of a fancy church-sounding word. Um, but lament is basically bringing the hard stuff to God. It's bringing grief and anger, tears, difficult questions and fears to God, openly and honestly. That may or may not be something 
you're comfortable doing. <laughs> we all come from different backgrounds and we have different experiences of faith and church. We also have different experiences when it comes to handling negative emotions. And most of that comes from how we were raised, probably. But the concept of lament that we'll explore teaches us that God wants us to be honest with him, sharing our pain and grief as well as our joys and our praise. How do we know that God wants this? Well, one very strong reason is because, like Christy mentioned, you can find lament all over the book of Psalms. The purpose of the book of Psalms in scripture is to teach us how to pray. Um, like she said, the, the Psalms are the prayer book of the people of Israel. They're also the prayer book of the church. Monks and nuns historically prayed through the book of Psalms in a regular and systematic way. And they still do that now. The Psalms provide models of prayer, models of how honest we can be, and the variety of ways that we can approach prayer and praise. They're also words for us to pray when we don't have words of our own. There are 150 psalms altogether, and I bet you're familiar with a lot of them. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. There are psalms that call us to sing to the Lord and praise him, psalms that remind us of God's goodness and faithfulness to us. But there are, I don't know, 60, 70 <laughs> um, psalms that are also categorized as psalms of lament, psalms that express pain, grief, angst, questions. And that is significant. The, the psalms show us that there are is a way to bring all kinds of emotions and situations to God. It's interesting to note that many of the Psalms of Lament have a turning point where it changes from grief to praise, but not all of them. Psalm 88 is an example of that. Today's text, Psalm 22, does have a major turning point, and it actually ends on an extremely high note of praise to God. But I didn't read that part because for today, we're going to focus on the, the lament. Psalm 22 has three of the typical elements of a lament. Um, starts out with a complaint, what's called a complaint. And this is where the psalmist tells God all about his trouble. And by the way, we don't know who wrote the psalm. Um, it's not attributed to anyone in particular. It's not of David or the sons of Korah or any of those that you sometimes see. In this case, the writer's troubles include everything from being physically near death to being turned on by friends and neighbors to keenly feeling the absence of God in all of it. The first few verses are striking. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, 
but I find no rest. In other words, he might have been saying, God, I'm praying, but you're not answering. Where are you? You're far away when I need you most. The writer doesn't sugarcoat the situation or how he feels as he talks to God. It's all out in the open. The psalmist's complaint is interwoven with a second element of lament, and that's an affirmation of trust. Um, this is when the writer calls to mind God's faithfulness in the past to the people of Israel. Verses 4 and 5 say, In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. This writer believes Despite his current circumstances, he still believes that God exists and God is good. He believes that God is able and willing to intervene and help. That God has done it in the past and can do it again. The psalmist's honest complaint comes in the context of faith and trust. Sometimes for us, I think, that faith and trust can be just showing up on a Sunday morning. In this psalm, we see complaint. We see an affirmation of trust. We also see a third element, which is the cry for help. Verse 11 says, Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there's no one to help. He says it even stronger a couple verses later. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. We don't know the specifics of what was happening for this writer, but it sounds bad. <laughs> Um, he uses the image of wild animals surrounding him to express that his life is in terrible danger. He's at the mercy of bad forces. And whatever was happening, this writer was abandoned and alone. We don't know the specifics. I've said that a couple times. But Bible scholars say that actually the specifics of the psalmist's experience are not the important part. What has remained over the centuries is the arc of his prayer. This open and honest lament, a cry to God in the midst of his pain. And that leads us to the other significant way that we know that God doesn't just allow us to lament, but encourages us to do that. It's because Jesus quotes this psalm in the middle of his own pain. If you're familiar with the story of Jesus' passion, I'm sure you recognize the words that open the psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus prays those exact words in his first language, Aramaic, as he hangs on the cross. And in that culture, with its emphasis on oral tradition and memorization, 
Those who heard the phrase would know that Jesus wasn't just saying his own words. He was quoting. He was calling up Psalm 22 as a prayer. And Psalm 22 actually is a picture, a prophetic picture, of the suffering of Jesus. You probably heard it recognizing that some of the details from that psalm get played out in the crucifixion. Um, the first one is found in verses 7 and 8. The psalmist says, All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. And if we look at the story of the crucifixion, of course, that's what happens to Jesus. Um, once he's at the point of being crucified, he's already been arrested, beaten, unjustly tried and convicted, and now he's hanging on the cross. And Matthew 27, 39 and 40 say, those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads, and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you're the Son of God. The text says the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the elders all mocked him. In verse 43, they say, he trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. It kind of gives me shivers, <laughs> the, the similarities between the texts. Um, in verse 16, it says, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet, which, of course, evokes a picture of the way that Jesus was killed. In verse 18, the psalmist says, they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment, which also happens at Jesus' crucifixion. It's a cold-hearted scene that gets recorded in all four gospel accounts of Jesus' death. The Apostle John even writes, This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, They divided my clothes amongst them and cast lots for my garment. So while the psalmist is describing his own situation of being surrounded and powerless, his words are also a prophecy describing the future suffering of the Messiah. That psalm had been written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. There are layers here. First of all, of course, this psalm is a prayer. Coming back to that. It's a prayer that people who are suffering can pray. But maybe we can say it was especially Jesus' prayer to pray in his suffering. It fit him perfectly. Jesus was dying. God incarnate experienced physical death as a human being. And he didn't die quietly in the night. <laughs> he was killed, surrounded by enemies. He was abandoned by his friends. The disciples left him in the garden when he was arrested. He was betrayed by one of them one of the twelve who traveled with him and lived with him. Peter, one of his best friends, denied even knowing him. 
he was openly mocked by the elders and teachers of his people. He experienced the absence of God. This is a mystery, of course, because we believe that Jesus is God. He is the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. But somehow, in his humanity, Jesus experienced God withdrawing his saving help. Jesus' life was in terrible danger, and there was no rescue. There was no voice from heaven. There was no messenger from God to strengthen him. He carried the sins of the world on his shoulders, and he faced mortality alone. Jesus suffered. And we suffer. We human beings suffer too. We hurt, and our suffering is real. Sometimes we suffer as a result of tragedy. Uh, my mom's side of the family has had their share of tragedy when it comes to car accidents. When I was just two, my uncle, who was a dairy farmer in Michigan, was killed in a car accident when he was on the road going to a conference. He had six kids. The youngest of them was three. My aunt and my cousins suffered. Years later, one of those cousins, grown up and married with kids of her own, experienced more tragedy. Her 17-year-old son, Kyle, was killed as he was pulling out of their driveway one day. My cousin Cindy has deep faith in God, but the grief of that loss rocked her and her husband, Dave. For about a year, she would send us emails. There was a whole group of us, friends and family, um, that she would email sharing about where she and Dave were at emotionally and spiritually. It was heavy to read the emails, <laughs> let alone walk that path of grief. My cousin's a model to me of someone holding on to faith while expressing profound grief. She still misses Kyle terribly, but over time her grief became less raw. Then in 2017, um, the season when I was preparing this sermon originally, her husband Dave was diagnosed with ALS, uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. ALS is a degenerative disease, and it would eat away at his muscle strength. Dave had always been an active person, riding horses, flying small planes, playing sports. It was hard for him not to be able to get out and do things the way he used to. And then over the next few years, his body gradually failed him. He became totally dependent on others, and eventually he died because he lost the ability to breathe on his own. That's just hard. That's one story of suffering and grief. 
but I think many people in this room have their own stories of suffering and grief. Like Christy said, a lot of people in our congregation have lost loved ones in the recent times, you know, past six months, even the last few years. Just a couple weeks ago, we lost Stan Bronzik, who's been a longtime member here. For Heather, she lost Brian just this week. Some have lost family or friends to COVID, others to tragic accidents like Chris and Alyssa's friend, others to maybe a terminal disease or a health condition. In my case, I lost both my dad and my mom in the last three years since I wrote this sermon. Neither of them suffered too long. My dad fell and broke his femur at 81, and he died after three months of complications and being in and out of the hospital and rehab finally hospice. His death felt relatively sudden, but my mom's was even quicker. She died just this August. And she passed away in the way that everybody hopes to. She went to bed one night and didn't wake up. <laughs> she had just been up to Alaska a few weeks before. And she'd seemed just fine. Her death took us by surprise. But even when we lose people in ways that we don't think of as tragic, the loss is still life-altering. And the hurt is real. I'm grappling with the loss of both parents, missing those utterly grounding relationships, <laughs> the history and connection with my family and my past that comes from them, that came with them. I'm missing the comfort and rootedness of being known from birth. There are all kinds of causes of grief, though. <laughs> There's the loss of the way things were before the pandemic, including here at church. Things have changed. They won't go back, you know. The changes also at work or at school There might be a, a loss of a job or a relationship lost through conflict or divorce. There's the pain of isolation and loneliness. There's a loss of health, medical conditions or chronic pain. There's a loss of mental health depression, anxiety. 
There's addiction and the way it impacts those around us. You might be grieving wrongs that have been done to you or to people you love. Sometimes the consequences of someone's actions reverberate in our lives for years. You might be grieving failures of the church on a personal level, or the church, capital C. <laughs> might be grieving injustice, whether it's racial or economic, things that have been done deep in our history, or they're ongoing now. When things are not as they ought to be, we grieve, we get angry, we question. And the biblical response to this is lament, to bring it to God. As a faith community, we're going to make space to lament together on December 4th in that evening service. Everyone's welcome to attend. Through this psalm, through the story of Jesus, this morning God is inviting us to come close to him. Even when the cry of our heart might be, why? Or where are you? God wants to hear it. Several years ago, I came across a poem called Jesus of the Scars. And this part still sticks with me. It says, The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a god has wounds, but thou alone. I'm going to repeat that last part. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. And now we come back to our gospel song from the beginning. Come in truth before the king. There's nothing you can hide, for he sees everything and knows your mind. For whom do we pretend? What lie can we afford? A great, all-knowing friend is the Lord. And as part of our worship this morning, we're, we're going to take a few minutes and allow folks to write out their own lament. So I'd invite the helpers to come pass out. We have strips of paper and pens. Um, <clears throat> So what would you bring to God today? Write it out on the paper that's being passed out now. And when you're finished, I'd invite you to come forward and put your lament. You can fold it up as many times as you want. <laughs> and you can put it in the glass jar on the altar as a symbol of bringing it to the Lord.
There's no need to identify yourself in any way on the paper. Um, keep it anonymous. You don't need to write your name on it. Just write whatever comes to mind that you'd like to bring to God today. And we'll just have some music playing in the background while we do this. If you didn't have a chance to bring yours, feel free later on. But God, we lift up our hearts to you. <laughs> 